0: Let's begin, let's begin...
1: to today's event um enter the wu Wudang martial arts wudang martial arts as embodied wisdom and healing and we're very happy at mosaic to welcome back master david wei uh wei da si, to talk a little bit about Taoism wudang um healing he has a very beautiful tea set in front of them, and he invited me to partake in some pu'er. Maybe you can talk Mm. a little bit about the pu'er that we're drinking, too. Mm. Um, And we're also joined by one of the podcast committee members, Erica. So, Erica, I'm just going to hand it off to you to do a little self-introduction, and then we'll proceed with a little bit of uh, explanation of the white papers on your seat. Hi, everyone.
2: Uh, My name is Erica. I'm also a cultural
3: My name is David. I'm going to co-respond to all the questions. We're going to co-create this wonderful experience. Thank you guys for having me. Podcast number two.
1: And to give a little bit more context on Master David Wei, um, he's a 16th generation lineage holder of Wudang Zhang San Pai, and founder of Wudang West Cultural Heritage Center in the East Bay. Wudang West Cultural Heritage Center. Mm -hmm. Master Wei trained in the legendary Wudong Mountains of China, practicing internal martial arts, medical qigong, and meditation. So we're very lucky to have him here share um, a little bit of his wisdom and the way that he is, just his being, the intention that he exudes. <laughs> and um, as I mentioned, you all have a white sheet of paper on your chair, and there's more up here. And this is to invite you to ask any questions you might have uh, Master Wade, last week when he came to visit, shared that he's open to you all asking questions about different areas of uh, healing that you might need. If you have pain in any particular part of your body, you can go ahead and write that down and then just pass it up to us. And then hopefully we'll have time to address those questions that you have. Um, so, also, I just wanted to say that today's talk is really more like an informal conversation. So we really encourage you all to participate, ask questions, um, yeah, so that's kind of the tone that we're trying to set today.
3: Cool. Good. Thank you for having me.
1: Welcome. We're really happy that you can be here, really excited. Um, so, I guess we'll start with the very first question. Can you explain, Master Wei, for those of us who might not have any background on Taoism, what it is and its development and its main principles? Hmm.
3: Taoism, it's a type of religious philosophy system that's based in China. And uh, it is a recognition and celebration of yin and yang. Perhaps many of you are familiar with the Tai Chi symbol. Uh, yin yang symbol, where it's like a circle split in two, one side's white, one side's black. Uh, it's a very uh, iconic uh, visual, and this is the the symbol that represents the principles of Taoist practice. Um, Taoism is very vast and broad. There is a philosophical expression, there's a religious expression, there's a ritualistic expression, there's a medicinal expression, there's a martial expression people that do it can do uh, palm reading, uh, music, divination, feng shui. It's a very vast and broad uh, practice. And um, oddly enough, the the primary text for Taoism is attributed to a, a man named Laozi, and he wrote a book called Tao Te Ching. And we were talking about this earlier before the conversation started. Uh, it was how the very first statement in Taoism is "Dao ko dao, fei dao." It translates to "the Dao that can be spoken is not Dao." And so, you just asked me what is Taoism, and I just gave you a long <laughs> answer as to what Taoism is to me, and none of it is true. Uh, Taoism—it's—it's it's just kind of one of those unspoken uh, ways of being, and uh, those who try to names on it only kind of limit its expression so we, uh, we don't try to contain it with, with words so to speak that speaks to us being an oral tradition mm. as well because as soon as you write something down it's it's a label it's solid and it's wrong <laughs> and so uh, no names no identifiers uh, no distinguishers it's just Taoism very vast very broad all-encompassing I hope you are thoroughly confused
2: <laughs> okay, um, so our second question is uh, relatedly, can you explain the relationship between um, Wudong mm. and Taoism? Um, what does Wudong help one achieve and kind of like what its yeah. purpose is? Okay.
3: Well, Wudong. Um, so that we're all on the same page. Wudang, it's a mountain, and specifically a mountain range. There are 72 peaks in Wudang, the highest of which being over 3,000 meters. Uh, And so Wudang Mountain Range is a kind of landmark, uh, an epicenter for Taoist arts and practice. And China recognizes Wudang as kind of the place to practice uh, Taoism. And So Wudang Mountain has 72 peaks every peak has its own temple every temple has its own practice and so earlier I spoke to How broad the scope of Taoism can be? Uh, This temple is for kung-fu that temple is for music that temple is for exorcism that temple is for ritual that temple is for You know, they all have their own practices and so um, Wudang it's kind of just this epicenter for Taoist arts and Uh, People that are serious about Taoism often make it a point to uh, have pilgrimage to the sacred spite.
1: So as someone who's spent years Studying in Wudong Mountain in
0: China Mm, mm,
1: mm. What would you say are some areas of difference between that form of studying as a type of education? versus the education we're more familiar with in the US For example, going to college or grade school that we're familiar with in the US.
3: Got it. I think um, I was kind of playing with this idea as I read this question earlier. And um, I have an idea. I don't know how well I can communicate it. Let's play. Uh, I think the biggest difference between the education I got in the temple versus education I got here in America in the educational system is that in the temple I was invited to learn about myself, whereas in college I was invited to learn about a thing. And what I think is that even in the West when we go to learn about a thing, ultimately we still learn about ourselves. We learn about our time management, we learn about uh, how we handle stress, we learn about how we can keep communications with our our social circles, yet still manage to stay on task and create results. Uh, We learn how to live in this world and my understanding is a lot of employers they don't even seek your college degree they just want to see that you have it to know that you can follow directions you can complete tasks you can show up on time know, this is bigger picture uh, that comes with your college degree not just learning this thing however all that self-development is often underplayed undervalued and you may or may not get it in your college experience Whereas, with this temple time, that is the curriculum, who are you, why are you here, what are you doing, what are you going to do with this skill, and uh, can you be of service to humanity, can you be of service to this world? And then so the, the focus of the learning, it's way more internal and way more service based, whereas in our Western educational format. It's, can you learn this thing? Can you learn this skill? Can you earn a living? Can you contribute to society? You know, all that funky stuff. Which, you know, the trajectory has gotten us to where we are, <laughs> for what it's worth. So that would be the primary difference, I think, in the educational system is, uh, in the traditional Taoist scope, you go to learn about yourself. Whereas in a Western educational system you gotta learn about things. Would you guys agree? Ish. Yeah, you're on mic, yeah, so, hey. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Next question.
4: I have a follow up question to yeah. that. Um, so in the Western educational tradition, we mm. might say if you're just learning about yourself, that's selfish. Mm. So how is a Taoist tradition, um, how would you explain that statement mm-hmm, um, or mm-hmm. that, um, that concept, that learning about yourself is selfish to somebody who has been educated in the Western tradition?
3: Mm. Um, well, in many ways, um, to throw that right back at you, going to a western educational system is selfish. Why? Because you want to get educated, you want to get a skill, you want to earn money, you don't want to be poor, you don't want to be sad and and broke and homeless, right? You want to get a gainful employment. And and those are also kind of very selfish drives too, right? And so um, I guess both could be selfish in a sense. However, in our Taoist tradition, we honor selfishness as a prerequisite to selflessness. And in order for me to pour tea for everybody, I have to make sure I have water in my cup first. And so I have to be selfish to nourish my tea before I can be selfless and serve. And so the selfishness in our line uh, is a prerequisite to selflessness. And knowing that we can always return back to selfishness to refill my teacup so that I can continue to serve, whereas I don't think that view is celebrated or even recognized as possible in a Western format. And so I hear myself saying East versus West. And um, I hope that I'm not coming off as abrasive or oppositional. It's it's just my observation and uh, maybe not optimal. And so we can. Uh, look to our traditional ways, our ancestral methods, uh, often viewed as alternative, uh, so to speak, um, and see how we can optimize our views uh, and optimize our selfishness so that we can be selfless and better serve. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> you guys get that? <laughs>
4: Maybe <laughs> okay. So for
1: for our listeners out there on the podcast, what Master Way just did um, was to do these excited hand move. Well, I don't know if I would say they're excited. But I leaned over
3: and pulled it out of my ass.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we're trying to make this accessible. Yes. Mas- <laughs> yes. Master David Way. <laughs>
3: yes. Choking. Next question. Let's go. I love this. Is fun.
2: Well, I. I think you already like touched on it, but um, were there any like specific teachings that you would that really stood out to you that kind of made you that were like I guess that compels you uh, to make a know part of your central
3: life? Yeah, um, I think one of the <laughs> simplest uh, lessons came from standing meditation. Standing meditation. Uh, for those of you that have a martial background, you know that standing meditation is very. Uh, functional. Even if you don't have a background in martial arts, you have this image of someone in the, what we call a horse stance, like a really low, deep stance, and they're sweating and shaking and, I uh, can't move. And so it's a very, very common practice across the board mm-hmm. for all traditional martial arts, not just Chinese. And so I got a lot from that. Uh, so first thing, a horse stance sucks. It hurts. And then so when you're sitting in horse dance and your legs start to shake and you start to quiver and you're shaking and your heart rate goes up and you realize it sucks, you, you kind of get to look at yourself and tell yourself what uh, what you what lies you tell yourself, what stories you tell yourself, how you distract yourself, right? How you manage to navigate the suckiness of the circumstance. And then quite often How we relate to the hardship of a horse stance is going to be the same way we relate to the hardship that my boss is giving me, or the hardship that my mom is giving me, or the hardship that my deadline is giving me. And how we address stress in a horse stance directly reflects how we relate to stress everywhere else in our lives. There's a principle of how you do something is how you do everything. And so when you're in horse stance, do you allow yourself to give up? Do you make excuses for yourself? Oh, that's long enough. Do you justify your, your, uh, your efforts? Or do you sit and endure and learn to develop integrity, learn to develop perseverance, learn to develop will and determination, and develop these skills uh, that come with just standing and being comfortable with yourself? Ultimately, it comes down to just standing and being comfortable with yourself. Can you stand and be comfortable with yourself? It sucks. Circumstance sucks. Can you be comfortable with yourself? Your deadline's up. Your bills are due. Your mom just died. Sucks. Can you be comfortable with yourself? You learn that in horse stance. So that would probably be the the biggest lesson like that.
2: So, is it a lot of, like, kind of like what I'm getting, I guess, is like through a lot of Mm. Like,
3: through your body, but mm. also just on a larger level. Mm. Yeah. Cool. I think I saw a hand.
5: Yes. I'm curious, what is your... When you were studying in the Wudang Mountains, mm. what is your sort of daily routine?
3: Because I'm picturing, like, Kill Bill right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Yeah. when just, she trained with Pai Mei. Like, yes. But yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. Kala, but like I'm that. <laughs>
4: it's just like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very, very fairy tale. Yes. Um, depending on the season, uh, so this time of year we're in fall, winter now. It's uh, it's darker, it's colder. We would wake up a little bit later. Spring, summer, we we'll wake up a little bit earlier, uh, in time with environment. So around this time of year, we'd wake up at about five a.m. We would run for an hour, practice for an hour, and then have breakfast. And then we'd kind of wait for about a half hour or so to digest. And then we'd have morning class. And morning class would typically last three hours. Uh, The first hour would be all basics, stances, kicks, and stretches. And then the next two hours, we would all separate into our individual skill sets. And so people that wanted to practice hard things over there, people that want to do weapons over there. And then the master would just kind of walk around and tidy up. That would be a typical three-hour class. So before lunch, we've already practiced five hours. Mm-hmm. right? And compared to an average person who has a martial arts hobby, you'd be lucky if you could practice five hours a week. And we've had five hours before lunch. And then, so, then after lunch, we get a short siesta. Then you get another three-hour class. Then you get a short uh, break to digest, and you have dinner. Then you have a short break, and then you have evening uh, stretch and sit, where we would stretch for an hour and sit for an hour in meditation. And so, along the course of a day, that's what, two hours, six hours, eight hours, ten hours a day on average? And then, if Grand Master came down from his cave, <laughs> then we'd probably have to train an extra two hours or so. And then, on the side, people do calligraphy, people study Chinese, people sleep, people wash their clothes. It's kind of nice when you have this monastic lifestyle where you don't have to do anything but train.
0: Does
3: that answer your question? So yeah, six days a week. Uh, The seventh day is demonstration day, where we all demo for the teacher and show what we've learned. And then we get a day to rest and kind of wash our clothes, catch up with family, shop for supplies. You're kind of too tired to do anything else that's kind of how my teacher kept us out of trouble, because we'd just be too tired to go out and cause trouble. Um, yeah, that's, that's the typical life. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that for five years, which equates to th- 11,000 some hours of training. <laughs> Pretty good when the average yoga training is, what, 500-hour for a teacher certification? I don't know. I didn't get one. But I see them advertised all I'm not talking shit. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> next question.
1: Okay, I'm, ex- I'm really excited about this next question. Um, uh-huh. So last week, I had the pleasure of hearing some of your insightful thoughts about the topic of this thematic series we're hosting at Mosaic. And the topic is mm. alternative ways of knowing and being. And I'm curious mm. if you would mind sharing your thoughts on this yeah. today yeah. with everybody.
3: Yeah. It's a funny, funny conversation topic. Yeah, alternative ways of knowing and being. Alternative. And so when we speak to alternative, we speak to, um, what, acupuncture, herbs, uh, alternative ways of thought, alternative views, alternative um, belief systems, right? Alternative. Uh, It's a funny word because when you break down the etymology of alternative, it's two words, alter and native. And so the alternative is really an alteration of what is native. Does that make sense to you guys? And so when we speak to Chinese medicine or acupuncture and herbs being the alternative, uh, the reality is, is that it's the original. And this allopathic Western view is the alternative. Allopathic Western medicine is less than 200 years old. TCM, acupuncture and herbs, and even systems that predate it from Tibet or from Kemet uh, these systems are timeless, 5000 year olds, minimum. And then so what's alternative? Right? What's really the, uh, the alternative method of doing things? It's this quote-unquote new modern contemporary view. That's the alternative. It's an alteration of what's native. So yeah, um, so alternative ways of knowing and being, this is the original way of knowing and being my
0: thought on
1: that -hmm. and what i appreciate about that is it makes me think about all the cultures that are that have these original ways of being that have Mm -hmm. been um filtered out of existence through Mm -hmm. genocide and conquest Mm -hmm. cultures in africa um, Mm -hmm. north america everywhere Mm -hmm. really
3: yeah
1: um and how
3: because they're heathens right Right.
1: yeah yeah quote-unquote heathens and how um, we've lost so many original ways of being
3: Mm -hmm. all in the name of progress right Yeah, and it's actually regress interesting
1: so thank you for being here and helping us uh, connect back to some of the original ways
3: as if to say I have the the connection (laughs) I'm still learning myself (laughs) but thank you I'm I'm glad that I have a perspective that you guys value Um, it feels nice to know I didn't waste my time cultivating this stuff
1: any questions?
3: Was that it? There were more.
1: Yeah, no, there are more, definitely. I just wanted to make sure that.
3: Bigger vision would be to contribute to a culture. Um, I named my organization Wudong West Cultural Heritage Center. And so, um, Funi and I were speaking to this earlier. Uh, In China right now, any morning you can go to any park all throughout China, and it's bustling with grandpas and grandmas doing movement not necessarily Tai Chi or, or traditional movement. They're doing ballroom dancing. They're singing, they're playing tag, they're playing yo-yos and slinkies and they're chasing their kids around. Uh, and it's just every morning, the park is full. And it's a beautiful thing. And then right after that, uh, the friends gather up in their little cliques and then they go to the market and they buy fresh produce and then they go home and they, they cook it with their family. And, and that's what their experience of day-to-day life is. That's what they do for fun. That's what they do to pass their day, and the result of that particular lifestyle is health, wellness, community, fun, right? And then so we look at our culture and the way that an average person in America passes their day to day. The parks are empty in the morning. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, people are still in sl- in bed, and when they wake up, they force themselves after slapping the snooze bar a times, and then they drown. The themselves in a gallon of coffee. Then they force themselves to go to a job that they hate to produce results that mean nothing to them. And then they go home and they drain their sorrows in alcohol and dance and party with their friends and uh, go home to do it again. And so the culture, the way we live our day-to-day life, of course it's not how everyone does, but by and large it's a, it's a common practice in our culture to live that type of lifestyle. And the result is sickness. The result is Uh, fatigue, the result is anxiety, the result is depression, Uh, the result is anger and frustration. And so we get the results of our lifestyle. And so to bring it back to your question, what is my goal? My goal then would be to contribute to a culture where it is cool to wake up in the morning and go to the park with your friends and play tag where it is cool to go to the farmer's market and get fresh produce and meet all the farmers and shake all their hands and hug your neighbors. And it is cool to go home and cook yourself a fresh meal and enjoy it with your loved ones and neighbors. And it is cool to do that shit every day. Not, oh, uh, this is what I have to do to get better. Oh, I just got diagnosed. Oh, I better start waking up. And it's like this discipline. It's like this thing that has to be done because I want that, so I have to do this. How about just do that? because it's fun. And then health is a natural byproduct, right? So my goal then is to contribute to a culture, a culture of getting up in the morning, a culture of going to sleep early, a culture of eating good food that we made ourselves and sharing it with our loved ones and going out and playing tag and going out and dancing. And then letting that lifestyle, that uh, type of activity that we just habitually engage in because we want to because it's fun let health be a natural byproduct of that as opposed to live this funky lifestyle of staying up late waking up early doing things that we hate and then trying to get uh, wellness from that it's retarded I'm sorry that's maybe not the best word to use, but it's backwards right so yeah that's my goal to impact a culture
1: One of the things that uh, you said earlier today and then last week, too, was about how Wudong is an oral tradition. Mm. Um, and I'm really fascinated by that. I'm teaching a class right now called Chronicles of, Edu- of Education, Humanities 10. And yeah. we talk a little bit about the oral tradition and how the yeah. oral tradition has been pushed so far mm. out of um, what's considered a of solid, valid way of knowing. Hmm. So can you share a little bit about how wudang is an oral tradition and what that means and what it looks like?
3: Yeah. Um, Now again, uh, wudang is vast and varied. And so how I'm choosing to express my lineage is orally. But if you go see my kung fu cousins or people from another mountain, they have books. They have scrolls and they have sutras. Uh, However, in our line, we chose to go oral and non-evangelical. And the oral tradition it's valuable because there is a distinction between information and inspiration right now we live in an information age we all know how to lose weight who's doing it we all know how to make money who's doing it we all know how to graduate school who's doing it we all know how to you know uh, turn in our homework early who's doing it right We, we have this information but what we don't have is the inspiration to to do And so, in this oral tradition, I could write a book and maybe get the material out to a million people, but of those million people, how many lives do I actually touch? And of those million people, maybe the material is appropriate for some, but not appropriate for others. And so, when it comes down to oral tradition, I can talk to you and relate to you and transmit information that is specifically pertaining to you and your circumstance. And your circumstance is gonna be 100% different from your circumstance. And so it'd be irresponsible of me as a lineage holder to just throw out this mass palatable, okay, everyone do this. No, because uh, it's gonna impact her different from it's gonna impact her, versus impact him. We're all gonna receive it different. And so by putting out information, by writing a book, creating a video, I don't know who's going to receive it. I don't know how they're going to receive it. Mm. And it's in, irresponsible of me to throw out that information willy-nilly. But when I speak to you, I can see where you're at. I can see what your goals are. And we can work together to co-create something powerful and meaningful to bring value to your life. Right, And that is one-on-one what we call transmission. One-on-one I've impacted your life. I cannot have that type of that quality of connection with a book through a website or through a video. Um, and so we we speak to quality instead of quantity. And so the oral tradition really uh, allows us to attain a degree of quality that uh, we wouldn't lack or we would oversee or overlook in the search for quantity. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I hope that. Makes sense. There's another one, bull.
2: (laughs) Um, So can you share a little bit about how spirituality, martial arts, and medicine come together in Gong?
0: It's all
3: the same shit. So the
2: all?
3: It's all the same shit, yeah. When I first started martial arts, I grew up in the East Bay, Richmond, California. Not the best town, for those of you who are local and you know the area, and in that time... uh, quite a dangerous neighborhood and so when I got into martial arts I wanted to learn how to fight and so my first five years was fighting and straight like mercenary like most efficient kill like two strikes you're dead I'm working on the next person like multiple attackers weapons I really was into how to hurt people and after five years of that I came upon an epiphany of uh I can break an arm, but I don't know how to fix an arm. And um, my teacher said that boys break, men mend. And so I saw how easy it was to break an arm, how hard it was to fix an arm, and so I completely left the mercenary arts and I went to healing arts. Got into acupuncture, herbs, nutrition, meditation, uh, fasting, detoxing, you know all these healthy aspects of the practice. And then beyond that, I knew that there was more, so that's when I went to the temple in China and I was a monk for five years to do the spiritual aspect. So to bring all this back to your question, um, the martial versus the medicinal versus the spiritual, it's, it's all the same stuff, right? And so uh, this movement, for example, for those of you that can't see, it's a commencement breath. If you ever see someone starting a Tai Chi form, you can imagine someone's hands rising and falling in time with their breath, right? And so, martially, this simple movement can be expressed as a block and a hit, right? Still within the scope, mm-hmm. still within the range of the movement. Uh, medicinally, this can help me uh, access full lung capacity and really maximize on my breath and harmonize my sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system and to, you know, really access uh, health through this practice. So it has a martial and it has a a medicinal. But also this same movement can be meditative. It can be calming. it It can help me address my emotions. It can help me address trauma. It can help me evolve as a person. And so it has that spiritual aspect as well. And yet it's still this one same movement. And so... Uh, The martial, medicinal, spiritual, ultimately, it's the same thing. What's different and what's distinct is the intention of the practitioner. And so I'm doing the same movement, but if I'm angry, I'm going to generate these results. I'm doing the same movement, but if I'm happy, I'm going to generate these results. And so it's the same movement, but how it expresses and how it creates all depends on me. And so martial, medicinal, spiritual, same shit. It's up to you.
4: So how do you continue your education? You started with the martial aspect, mm. then you went to medicinal and then mm. spiritual. Now how are you continuing your you education?
0: You ready for this? Yes.
3: <laughs> I tell my wife and it makes her cry. Uh, my next practice is learning how to die. I did five years martial, five years medicinal, five years spiritual. Beyond that, I did five years of creating my school and teaching, traveling the world, and teaching to all the different listenings. So now my, n- my now five years is preparation for death. Mm.
0: How do you do
3: that? Um, well, it's, I did this death and dying retreat in 2013, where I went to a jungle in Thailand. Mm-hmm. And I put myself in a hut with no human interaction for three weeks and I caught all my drinking water and I fasted and I basically just sat with the fact that I'm going to die. And um, it sounds macabre, it sounds funky, but I'll use this analogy. We're all in school. You all have a final exam. You all have a final project. Some of us get the assignment and get straight to work and submit the final project early and then coast the rest of the way. Some people wait till last minute, pull a final project at their ass, and hope that they pass the class. This final project is death. We're all going to have to die. Some people are okay with it. There's a whole system, the samurai code, Bushido code. They live ready to die. And in that, there's a richness in life available. Right? We live ready to die. And then, then there's other people that live running from death. And there's a certain quality of life available there. And then when death inevitably catches up, that's when you pull out your final project from your ass and hope you pass, whatever that looks like. But it's, you know, it's something that we're all going to have to submit at mm-hmm. some point. And so my goal then, my next phase of learning, would be to be able to submit that final project and enjoy the rest of my time in school.
4: So
3: when you're in the hut? <laughs>
4: um, had you come to grips, I guess, that yeah. you were going to die? Oh, yeah. That, like, the
5: goal is to... Oh, yeah, 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 you, were you s- certain that you would die then, or you... Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No, you,
3: you get, uh, you get kind of koans, uh-huh. at least the way this particular retreat was run. The, the master that held the space, uh, he'd check in with you once every so often.
1: You're not dying?
3: No, 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 no you, you put yourself in a circumstance that sucks that
1: you will. Okay.
3: and you want to <laughs> 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 but no you don't die and you, know, and you put yourself in that scenario where you're close where you're in the midst so that you can actually face and discover who you are in that space until mm-hmm. then you have no idea who you are I mean, you can practice how to uh, fight someone in the dojo but as soon as someone meets you on the street all your training goes out the door Because training and reality, there's a strong distinction. And so how do you prepare for death? You put yourself as close to death as you can so you know how you respond in that Mm -hmm. scenario. That's the only way you can really prepare for it. And so the process of that retreat was to no food, no water, no human interaction. You're all by yourself in the jungle. Mosquitoes are eating you. There's vultures circling above. What are you? Who are you? And then when you emerge you've learned something about yourself and what you're able to tolerate and what you're able to manage. And then you can bring that experience to -to day-to-day life, and deadlines don't suck so much anymore. And pressure from your peers doesn't suck so much anymore. And hardship and toil doesn't suck so much anymore because you've faced death and conquered it. At least that was my experience. And so, uh, yeah, I'm still learning to be comfortable with death because then there's learning to be comfortable with your own death but then it's learning to be comfortable with others mm-hmm. and learning to be comfortable with others relationship with others death so like my wife lost her grandmother oh my god i'm ready for myself to die <laughs> but i don't know how to help my wife deal with her grandmother's loss and so i'm still very much learning how to grow in the conversation of death more questions just last question. <laughs> oh this is, this is great um, just while we're talking about death in the
5: Wudong tradition what is there any sort of life after death
3: or is yeah the um, there is a beautiful image of what I want to talk about right here on your computer beautiful there's something in our tradition called a rainbow body a light body and so the ultimate goal for a Taoist practitioner would be to transcend a physical existence. And this would be done by transmuting their physicality into pure light. It sounds crazy. It's funky. Uh, and yet there are recorded instances of this happening, um, of where someone dies, and they don't die. They just dissolve into nothingness. And outside their hut, there's rainbows. <laughs> mm-hmm. They just dissolve into light. It's, it's a phenomenon. It's called rainbow body. Uh, or light body, it's when you don't die, you ascend. Mm. Um, And so uh, that's one view of death. Um, But Taoism is big on immortality. And so immortality in that scope where you can transcend your physicality uh, through light body. Um, But the one that's more practical, functional, and the one that I'm working towards, is immortality in the scope of legacy. So Zhang Senfeng, part of Zhang Senfeng, you read that earlier, right? Zhang Senfeng is the fabled, uh, legendary uh, creator of Tai Chi. Right? So he's attributed with light body ascension. He is attributed as a, an ascended master. However, we don't know. And what's it worth? But Zhang Senfeng is honored as an immortal, not so much because he ascended into... Uh, to light body, but because his legacy, people practice Tai Chi all over the world. People are able to add value to their lives all over the world through this practice. People are able to discover who they are and to have a practice and a purpose and a, and a means of service through Tai Chi all over the world. And then so in that way, Zhang Sanfeng is immortal because even to this day, he is still contributing to people's lives. And so Taoism... Uh, we seek immortality. If not through this ascended, woo-woo, mystical path, at the very least, through immortality of service, that even after I die, people are still finding value from this podcast. People are still discovering themselves from this work. Uh, That is how we explore immortality. Are you guys... Is is this fun for you guys? Enjoying? Handsome man over here (laughs) just (laughs) sleep. How are we doing on time?
1: Good. It's Good. 10.54 right oh, now, perfect. so we have, we're have we going to 11.30. Um, okay, let's talk. So, as a Wudal master, you do a lot of healing work, and you've mm. also traveled the world. Mm. Have yeah. you noticed different types of body aches or pains associated with different life, uh, lifestyles across the globe or across even generational patterns? Like, this generation that's in, uh, like, the college-age generation now versus, like... Um, our generation, mm-hmm. which I'd like to think is not that far. But yes, I know.
3: <laughs> yes, and no. Um, yes, I have traveled the world. Yes, I have healed people all over the place. Uh, however, by and large, this Western, modern, contemporary lifestyle is pervasive all over the world. There's very few places that don't have Coca-Cola and McDonald's right now. And so this modern lifestyle is pervasive, and so the results of that lifestyle are pervasive. So do I see patterns uh, specific to regions? No. One thing I have noticed um, is that we're all human. We're all 98.6 degrees. We all have the same resting heart rate. You know, we all eat and shit and drink and pee. And so uh, we're all born, we all die. and so We all have the same conditions. People. All over the world, we experience stress in the neck and shoulders. We experience uh, digestive issues when we're nervous. We, it's humans are the same. And so, no, <laughs> I have not observed things like that. One thing that I have noticed, though, with this new generation, is there's a lot of this. And it's because we're doing a lot of this.
1: And so by this, for the audience um, that's that listening later that. on, um, Master Ways putting his head down kind of looking down towards the floor yeah
3: imagine someone on their phone just look to the left of you and you'll probably see someone on their phone and Mm -hmm. just observe their posture they're hunched over their head is tucked their chin is tucked to their chest you got uh, traction on the cervical spine and uh, consider that over time the head is heavy and it will damage the neck and shoulders uh and it's not a posture that's conducive to health in the long term, and yet we're all doing it. And it's funny because my first job at a high school was in a convalescent home. And 100% of the old folk population of the convalescent home, every single one of them, had their head down. And they didn't have cell phones in their time. So I can only imagine Mm. what our generation We'll probably look like roly-polies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all curled up by the time it's our turn to be 80, 90 in a convalescent homes. And so um, now neck, shoulder is a really big thing. Now depression and anxiety, restlessness, insomnia, mm. really big things. Mm. I'm seeing a lot more cases of that. A mm. lot more stress-related mm-hmm. functions. and that's all over the world, mm-hmm. yeah, everywhere I go, it's the same, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I just came back from China, Colorado, uh, I was in uh, New York before that, and yeah, in China, I was in Beijing, I was in Yunnan, I was in Shanghai, I was in Fujian, it's all the same, everywhere, mm-hmm. we're all like this, <laughs> we're all stressed out. be uh, in our tradition we're not so black and white like that we don't say this equals that um, it's less of a cause and effect more of a cause and conditions and so I don't want to say that uh, depression is a direct result of this you know, there's a number of factors and variables uh, but depression is prevalent uh, and a lot of us have it and um, the way that we would treat it in our medicine is if we can't so much address the root trauma or condition that's triggering the depression, we can at the very least address the body that's experiencing the depression. So if you were depressed or sad or grieving, what is the body that you would have when you do that? Does that make sense? So when you're sad, depressed, grieving, sorrow, you're hunched over, your head's tucked down, your breath is shallow, right? And then so if we want to help navigate that emotion, maybe we can't address the, the actual trigger, but we can address our body. And then so if we find that we're sad, we can sit up. We can draw our shoulders back. And it will suck, but after five, 10 minutes, if we maintain a particular posture, the emotionality will follow, the psychological, the psychology will follow. And it'll be challenging, it'll be difficult, but it's a coping mechanism to help deal with depression. So if you find yourself in a funk, then mm, adjust your posture. If you find yourself aggressive, adjust your posture. So uh, it's somatic psychology is a whole stream. I'm sure the psychology department here on campus knows all about it. Um, so uh, depression uh, is big, and that's how we would address it in medicine. I hope I answered your question.
4: so a lot of my research focuses on sexuality mm. and it's something that normally when there's a speaker sitting in front of us we don't get to ask that question because it seems like it's way off the mark right to mm. ask questions about sex and sexuality we can't talk about sex and sexuality mm. right unless it is the topic Yeah. but you, you mentioned something last week about how your um, tradition and role of sexuality hmm. in, um, in your tradition and yeah. how do you generally talk about sexuality with
3: people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, good question. Sexuality is a very, very potent practice in our line and um, uh, it's related to the uh, bedroom arts as they're called. And you know, earlier we talked about the 72 peaks of Wudang and how every peak has its own temple or several temples and every temple has their own practice. There are chamber art temples where they practice this stuff. And so the sexual arts are uh, less about how to uh, get jiggy and have a powerful sex life and more about how to uh, cure dysfunction. Address infertility uh, and ultimately how to cultivate a loving relationship between partners and harmonize yin and yang harmonize fire and water uh, and um, and so the sexual practices then what we're speaking to is maybe not so much the act of intercourse uh, and more so the capacity to create and so, uh, sexuality reflects our creativity, and um, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally. And so, how creative can we be? How resourceful can we be? How how well can we uh, generate thought and manifest it into form? Right. How well do we create in the world? Yeah. So that that's also in line with our sexual practices. And then so. Uh, sexuality, then, uh, it's it's an integral part of our health, right? Nine out of ten men will develop some degree of prostate cancer. An equal mm-hmm. amount of females will develop some sort of ovarian, uterine, or uh, uh, some other funk in, in their reproductive systems, too. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, but I think a big part of it is that it's it's just so taboo. It's so extreme, and uh, America, we're still such a young culture, and so it kind of takes a five thousand year old tradition to uh, you know be comfortable with sex and recognize it's integral part of who we are as a species and. Uh, A healthy relationship with our sexuality translates to a healthy emotionality, it translates to a healthy physicality, Um, and so it's absolutely uh, a kung fu. There is a kung fu to sex, yes. So you asked a kind of broad general question, I kind of gave you some some of my thoughts around it. Uh, I hope that answered what you're looking for. to boil the water. The goal of sex is to boil the water. What I mean by that. Uh, Masculine yang energy, fire. uh, Feminine yin energy, water. Um, The yang energy naturally wants to rise. Uh, The yang energy has a capacity to burn itself out quickly. And in relation to the water energy of the, the feminine, It can be difficult to make the water warm, much less bring it to boil. And then so the relationship of harmonizing fire and water is to tame and temper the fire to uh, enable to work with the water to bring it to warmth and boil, right? And then when we have boiling water, we have steam. Steam translates to qi in our medicine. And then so it's this boiling water, the essence of climax, of a shared climax of both parties, that nourishes the physical, emotional, spiritual aspects of our being.
4: Mm. Sounds sexy. Steamy. (laughs)
3: because otherwise it's very common for the fire to extinguish itself before the water gets even warm and um, you know sexuality can also show up in this conversation too because it doesn't necessarily have to mean male female because even within same sex same sex couples there is a masculine feminine dynamic even in a same sex dynamic And so, it's learning how to harmonize the relationship of hard and soft, hot and cold, so that the parties involved can optimize their experience and have a long, healthy life doing it. I almost wish it was on Family Feud, good answer, good answer. (laughs) Yeah.
5: Um, since you're part of an oral tradition. Yeah. I've been hearing what you're saying and thinking of how I would translate it, not so that it was part of the informational stream out there, mm. but somehow to minimize, because what you're speaking is in bites, because you want to make it, you know edible, palatable, palatable yeah. for us. And you want it to be individualized. Mm. But some of the stuff you're saying is very general and really beautiful and ancient and eternal.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm.
5: So I keep thinking of something like it, maybe a representative in images. Have you ever thought about working with someone doing that kind of way, or musically, or
3: mm. I don't know? Um. Me, not so much. My Kung Fu brothers and sisters, my cousins and uncles and aunts. Uh, You know, we're all expressing the Tao in ways that's appropriate for us and our skills and our attributes. And so, um, you want to read a book? My Kung Fu brother just wrote one. (laughs) Right? You want to watch a video? My my Kung Fu uncle just made this really nice video. Me, however, not so much. I encourage my students to. And so, um... But yeah, uh, the way that I choose to express our line is non-evangelical, and so I celebrate you as you. There's nothing wrong with you, there's nothing wrong with any of us, um, however, this is how I like to have fun. I like to wake up in the morning and stretch and drink tea, I like to hug my friends after a long workout, and I like to keep in touch and see them again the next day, and I like to grow alongside my friends, and that's what I consider fun. And so, uh, I don't have to be evangelical, I don't have to promote, I don't have to preach, I don't have to make flyers, I don't have to give introductory offers. I'm just going to go to the park and do that. And then my friends that want to join me, they can, and uh, it's kind of like our own little pocket of transformation. And if you were to come to my community at any given day, we have black, white, tall, small, gay, straight, rich, poor, and everything in between. And if you pay attention to the news, we're all supposed to hate each other. However, we can get together every morning, practice together every morning, drink tea and hug every morning. And it's kind of like our revolution without fighting. You know, Gandhi, the be the change, right? So we're there every morning, stretching and smiling. And we're in an information age. And so, sure, I can make videos and I can add more information. But I'm more interested in inspiration. And so come, I wanna touch your life. I wanna reach out and I wanna impact change for the better and add value to your experience in day to day. And you may not get that from my flyer. You may not get that from my video, right? But if we meet and if we talk and we have eye contact and we relate, we're gonna touch each other's lives and it's gonna be beautiful. And so that's why I choose to express orally. Did that answer your question Definitely.
5: Yeah. your voices
3: are oh cool yeah. I have the good voice for radio <laughs> <laughs>
5: um,
3: if if I may speak to something uh, about the West our organization is Wudong West and I'd love to speak to that really quick um, so when we say West it is often spoke of in the context of colonial, uh, uh, colonial Europe. And so West is West of what? West of England, right? East is East of what? East of England. And so when I say Wudong West, I'm not a part of that colonial conversation. I'm a part of a cultural conversation. And so West, uh, when we speak to Feng Shui, May I? Yes. Okay. Imagine this is China. Oh you can't see it. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine that's China. Okay? Uh Beijing over here, what Shanghai over here, Hong Kong over here, Tibet over here. Right? It's China, right? Looks just like it. So we have a north a south, a east, and a west. Right. What's to the north in China? Uh, um, we have Dalian, we have uh, Siberia, we have Russia. It's cold. North is cold. Would you agree? That's where he goes, yeah, Right. All right, so north is winter. The element is water. Okay, south. Now we're going closer to the equator. Now it's tropical climate. The south is... That's where you guys goes. Hot! <laughs> hot. <laughs> the south is hot. hot. So that's going to be related to summer. What's the element? Fire. 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 So you guys learned it fast okay <laughs> then we venture let's say east okay east this is what the pacific ocean now right it's where all the water is you've got swamp marsh, a lot of fertile growth in the side of china so this is going to be related to wood in springtime then over here on the west the one that we're concerned with west is Himalayas. The mountains. The mountains are rich with ore. Ore can be harvested and mined to generate metal. Right, Okay, right in the middle is earth. You kind of have the flat plains. So Given you kind of the topography, geography of China, and showed how the different directions relate to different elements. You guys get that? Okay. West is metal. I'm going to come back to that. Okay, we're following so far. Okay, I'm going to summon Satan now. At home, I just drew a pentagram. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm now going to show you these five elements again. In our tradition, we start with metal. Uh, metal's over here, so I'll just say it's here. Metal. Okay. Metal. We take a metal shovel to dig a well, which gives us water. Water nourishes wood. Wood dries out and catches on fire, right? Fire, ashes from fire settle and give us earth. Earth compresses and condenses and brings us back to metal. Do you guys see the cycle here? Mm -hmm. Metal generates water, generates wood, generates fire, generates earth, yeah? But then why the pentagram, Okay. So metal can cut wood, wood can disrupt earth. Anybody ever see a tree and the roots funk up the sidewalk? Right. Wood can overcome earth. Earth can absorb water. Water can extinguish fire. Fire can melt. Metal. Metal can... cut And so we have this star relationship. So we have this circle relationship, and we have this star relationship. You guys see that? It's like uh, nourishing and competitive is what they call these things. But it goes both ways. Because, um, sure, Earth can absorb water. We've seen that. But water can also erode Earth. Earth can also be Uninhabitable for wood. Try plant a seed in concrete or stone. It's not gonna happen, right? So earth is uninhabitable for wood. Wood can consume metal. Anybody ever seen that? There's a story of the old man that parked his bike next to a tree. Fifty years later, the tree eats the bike. Right? Wood will consume metal. Hammer a nail into a tree, come back ten years later, that tree will consume the nail. Right? Earth will, excuse me, wood will consume metal. Metal will contain fire. Mm -hmm. And fire will evaporate water. So see how these relationships go every which way. So I say all that to say this. What does this shit mean? Fire. What's the power of fire? Heat. Think again. If I light a match, what direction does the fire go? Up. The power of fire is to rise. What's the power of water? Down. The power of water is to go down. What's the power of wood? The power of wood, you're right. The power of wood is to grow bigger, to use your words. But not just bigger, bigger in all directions. As much as it grows up and out, it's also as much as it goes down, all right? it's related. Mm-hmm. So wood expands in all directions. Metal then, okay, so if water goes down, fire goes up. If wood goes all out, what is metal then? after we've turned in and self-reflected, we move on to water. What's the energy of water to go down? So once we've turned in and self-reflected, hopefully we realize that we ain't shit. And so we take on water and humble ourselves. Right? Discover who you are, humble yourself. From that space of humility, we come to wood. Wood grows in all directions. Only when you humble yourself do you have room to grow, right? Then after you've grown, we come to fire. Now we have an opportunity to rise to the occasion and get tested through the dark night of the soul, right? Tempered by the flame, does that skill we developed in the wood really work? If it works, earth, rest, only to what? Turn back in again and start the process life's element. Alchemical. Skill building. Personal development. You guys getting the story? Mm -hmm. So, this relates to everything. I'm hungry. I better turn in and realize, mm -mm, my belly's grumbling. I'm hungry. No one's going to make me food. I need to humble myself and make my own rice. Now, in wood, I'm going to expand in all directions, I'm going to reach out, grab my resources, Are you guys still going through midterms? Yeah. So stress, probably an issue. Memory, probably an issue. Yeah? Okay. Acupressure points? This is me thinking. Okay, I got two. your frontal lobe this is the area of your brain responsible for critical thinking concentration and memory and so you can eat when you're trying to recall information you can just kind of either tap uh, hold it lightly and kind of allow it to uh, contribute to your concentration right or you can even lightly tap it and stimulate it that way and when you tap you can think of this area but I want to invite you to try and feel the vibration of the tap into the, the skull cavity. Right? You want to try and feel the vibration of the tap into the head, if that makes sense. Not something visualized, not something imagined or colors or lights, but try to feel the tap beyond the head and into the brain and then when you are able to send that vibration into the head we stimulate the pituitary the hypothalamus right we stimulate pineal right we stimulate these various glands in the brain right that vibration promotes circulation promotes blood flow blood flow promotes vital nourishment food and oxygen arguably making you smarter Right? At the very least, helping to keep the brain nourished while you're working it so hard, trying to remember all this information for your midterms. Right? So tapping. The other one that's really, really uh, good for stress and tension is going to be bladder 10. Bladder 10 is going to be on the occiput, so opposite of this point. The way that you find this point is to interlace the fingers, and notice your thumbs. You can ride your thumbs up the base of the neck, and feel that on either side of your cervical spine, you're going to have this band of musculature that kind of holds the neck up and erect. Do you guys feel that? And you can almost pluck that band, and depending on how stressed or tense you are, or reflects the quality of tone that you're going to get from your plucking. Yeah, So some people's strings are tighter than others, for sure. Now if you were to ride all the way up, those two bands of muscle up along uh, the spine, you'll come to the base of the skull and you'll find that there's two archways that you can feel right at the base of your skull. And if you do it just right, it should feel quite nice. And so the partner to this point is going to be down out by the ears, and this is Gallbladder 20, and it's kind of like where Frankenstein's knobs would be, right? And then so from this setup of interlaced fingers, you can kind of rest your hands behind your head like you're reclining on a beach, and then just really dig in to that archway beneath your head and out to the Frankenstein knob points. And uh, the good thing about massaging yourself is that if it doesn't feel good, it's your fault. And so you want to engage yourself away and press in such a way that feels good and nourishing for you. And then so the benefit by massaging the front, this is going to be for your memory concentration, right? Uh, For the back, this is going to be for your um, stress and any tension that gets built up from, you know, reading and being all funky with uh, midterms looming over your shoulders. So those are your points. Yin Tong, here in the front, and then bladder ten. So third eye point and occiput. Some good self-help for yourselves.
1: Thank you. So we only have a few minutes left. um, Mm. And we have a couple questions towards the end, but I did want to. create a little bit of opportunity for students who might have or people who are listening who might have like specific points on their body that they have Mm. questions about um, because I did mention that a little bit earlier so if anyone Mm. heard that and was like yeah I want to ask about this or that free massage (laughs) any points I know last week um, somebody asked about lower back uh, pain Um, another was knee pain ankle pain
2: so (laughs) over the weekend um, I was sent to like the ER because I was having like pain in my
0: lungs
2: for some mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ran like a bunch of tests, but they mm-hmm. didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, but I just like lately,
3: I mean, I'm on like pain meds right now, but like can only avoid it for so long. So, but mm-hmm. I don't know like why my lungs are hurting. Like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and some people were saying because it's stress. Got it. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, lungs. <laughs> pain in the lungs. Well. Northern California just had some serious fires, and so respiratory issues have been on the rise this last month. Um, However, those fires have since cleared, um, so it may or may not be related to that. Uh, Stress and anxiety absolutely have an impact on the quality of your breath. You can imagine if you're stressed or scared, how would you breathe? (laughs) Typically short and fast. And if you're not utilizing all of your lung capacity, then chances are uh, water is going to accumulate, dust is going to accumulate, pollution can accumulate. If you smoke, you get tar, mucus, or phlegm that accumulates. And the more shit that's in your lungs, the less you're able to breathe. That makes sense. And then so in our tradition, we directly relate the quality of our breath to the quality of our life. Consider that food, you can go weeks, water, you can go days. Air, you can barely go a few minutes. And so breath is the most vital function of our existence. And even in the Bible, every now and then I'll quote Genesis, uh, God molded humanity from clay and breathed life into us, right? And then you have all these divine names, uh, God, Allah, Krishna, Buddha, Jah, uh, ah, this is ah sound, and we begin to see that ah, right, if God breathes life and how, how do you exhale? Ah, ah, right? And so when we inhale, we don't just inhale breath, we inhale the life of God. We inhale life itself. So if you're having pain in your chest, if you're having a hard time breathing, you are literally not connected to God at least in our context is this making sense yeah. right and so whatever that means to you is whatever it means to you is no good or bad right or wrong however it would be of value to clean out the lungs and optimize your breath because if you optimize breath you literally optimize life does that make sense yeah. And so what I would invite you to do is consider that a painkiller may help address the symptom of pain and discomfort, but you haven't addressed your lifestyle, you haven't addressed your habits, you haven't addressed your environment, you haven't addressed your relationship with your lungs. And so as soon as that painkiller is gone, the problem will persist. You just kind of swept it under the rug for the time being. And now your liver and your kidneys have to process that pain medication. And your neurotransmitters have to deal with that new chemical. And so you're actually doing more harm than good. Does that make sense to you guys? And this is medicine. Right? And then so for you, I would invite you to simply take deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, and make a day of it. Because chances are you're going to be breathing anyway. So might as well like get some kung fu in there like do it well and so when we have pain in the chest, number one exercise tap the chest and then use both hands yeah, do it with me. Come on. and we can all do it and then what we're gonna do is Okay, I didn't even need to explain it. See, it's smart. Okay, long. So keep going, keep going. Long, slow draws through the nose. Long exhales through the mouth. And again, in long and slow. And maybe even make a little bit of tone. Ah, and feel how that makes the chest vibrate. Ah. We're not looking for marching bands. We're not looking for fireworks. But maybe you feel a gentle vibration when you go. Ah. There's a, a reverb in the chest. You feel it? Make the noise. I want to see it. Ah, you're on mic. Go. Ah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. Now keep it up. Let's do a few more breaths. And really tap. And so male, female, we're packaged a little bit different. I get it. However, you can really get the sternum. You can really get the collarbone along the clavicle. You can get up into the shoulder corner. You can get it here along the floating ribs, even down by the diaphragm. Basically anywhere that you have lung. All right, you want to tap that chip. Okay, and then Good. When you're done, anybody notice a sensation in the chest? Maybe a buzz or a tingle? Again, it'll be subtle. We're not looking for marching bands or fireworks. But maybe there's a warmth now present. Maybe there's a buzz now present. Feel it in your chest. Maybe feel it in your fingers, too, after all that tapping. You guys feel that? Okay. So now step two. Do it with me. One more time.
5: Good. Now
3: once again, feel your chest. Feel your hands smiling feel good <laughs> you feel the buzz you feel the tingle you feel the warmth you've done this before oh good Pranayam. okay good so what's happening okay when you inhale nice and slow and you tap it's a very gentle vibratory massage your lungs are like trees you have a trunk you have branches stems and leaves The average breath barely gets past the trunk. If we want to access the branches, stems, and leaves, if you don't use that, you lose that. And so this gentle tapping opens up all those small brachial pathways, allowing you to take in just a little bit more air than you normally would. Does that make sense? Good. So we're optimizing your lung capacity with a gentle tap. Now you want to do it more. Okay. So then that was step one taking in more air. Step two that's clear the crap out. Consider that when the lungs are empty, like a balloon, they're flat. When the lungs are full, they expand. Right? What did we do before we pounded and pat? Take a big, full breath in so that the lungs are expanded. Now that the lungs are full, what do we do? We hold that breath so that the lungs stay full, and then pound and pat. Why is this important? When the lungs are empty, there is no room. When the lungs are full, now there is room. Tar, mucus, phlegm, pollution, dust, water, smurfs, whatever resides inside your lungs. Right Now there's room for this big, jarring impact to knock this shit loose. Does that make sense? So step three, the last part. Out, 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 out. That's distinct from... You get the difference? That's in, out, in, out, in, out. We only went out, 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 out. And that out comes from here. So if you take two fingers, put them right here in your... Um, diaphragm, just below your uh, sternum. Cough. (coughs) Good. And you'll feel that this musculature around your diaphragm engages to generate that cough. And that cough kicks out the shit from your lungs. And so we want to maybe not cough, but (coughs) generate movement from that same musculature. And so these three aspects are the first exercise for our lung tradition, how to nourish the lungs. And so now, I've just given you a tool to open your lung capacity, clear the lungs, and expel any toxins inside you. Or how about just take a pain med?
4: So, I think...
3: That's our time. You, do you have That's, time? I have plan. I'm here all day.
4: Since we're on the topic of pain and pain meds, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I know many of us, calls, mm-hmm. but for myself, ah. I get headaches mm. yeah. Yeah. and I will pop an Advil. Mm-hmm. One, usually. Two, if I just mm-hmm. want it to definitely go mm-hmm.
0: away. Mm-hmm.
4: What are things that I could do instead of popping an Advil? I mean, yeah. besides, so people say, chug a lot of water. Yeah. That, doesn't, that hasn't helped me mm-hmm. in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know you can't go back and like make sure that you're
3: hydrated when you have a yeah. headache right so sometimes i just want it to be gone. what are things that i can think? yeah uh headache it matters where you feel the headache and that will kind of give you an indication of what type of headache it is uh, so headaches that are in the front you say yours is in the back these are associated with hydration Right? If it was more towards the sides or by the temples, this is more stress and overthinking and pressure. And, right, But along the center line, this is definitely gonna be your hydration. And then so the goal for you is, uh, by the time you have a headache, it's too late. Right. You're dehydrated. And then so like you said, you, the headache's here, you're not trying to chug a bunch of water, right? It's too late at that point anyway. And so the goal for you would be to, get yourself a cute little setup (laughs) and make a ritual around hydration Mm. and instead of oh I chugged a liter of aquafina no I warmed up the water and I sat with it and made a ritual of it and sipped my water slowly throughout the morning and said I'm hydrated for my day Mm. right and the idea of warming up the water, your body is 98.6 degrees. So any water that is not 98.6 degrees is too cold for you. Mm. right? And so even room temperature water, by that token, is too cold for you. And then so hot, cold, heat does what expands. Cold does what it contracts. And so if you put cold water into your 98.6 German-engineered, fine-tuned, bioengineered <laughs> machine, That cold water is going to cramp everything on its way down until it regulates and meets the temperature of your body. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So when we can sip water slowly, one, it's the right temperature, so the body can assimilate. Right, it doesn't cramp anything up on the way. The pores, the soft tissue pores, can stay open and can assimilate the water. Right. So that's one. The other thing is when you sip slowly, it allows the body to take the water on versus if you chug it, it goes straight to your stomach and it comes right out your bladder. But if you sip warm water slowly, your body has a chance to assimilate the fluids. And then that should drastically reduce your experience of headaches as a preventative, not as a, this is what I do on the onset of, does that make sense? So daily hydration ritual. Make it a spiritual practice. Yeah? Masaru Emoto, messages in water. Yeah? Grateful for your water. Yeah? Snowflakes. Yeah? Okay. Good. So make it a spiritual thing. Okay. In the event of an onset of headache, there is a powerful point called large intestine four, huko. And mm-hmm. if you remember from the acupressure that we did last week, I called it the poop trigger. It's the constipation point. It's also...
4: I don't... I wasn't here, unfortunately. Oh. It.
3: It. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a dual purpose. It's I call it the constipation point because that's what sticks to people. It's what they remember, and I like to make poop jokes. Uh, but it's also the go-to for any type of pain in the body, and specifically headaches. Right. So the way you find this point, it's rude to point. Okay, so point at me, be rude. Okay, and then so you have the, the finger. Now, go past the knuckle into the base of the finger, and you'll see that the finger actually stems from the wrist, right? And you can kind of trace along that bone, right? And you feel that bone there. Now, if you go lateral to the vertical bone and kind of do this cross-fiber thing, you may feel that you can pluck a band of connective tissue in the same way that we could pluck this band here by the neck. There's a a band that runs parallel along the finger bone that we can pluck on that too. And you'll find that you can get it really, really deep by the pit of the thumb. You can get it really, really high up by the knuckle. And so this whole little kind of one-inch range, you can really work that point. And if you get it just right, there's a zing to it. And it'll make you jump. It, you know, it's a, it's a really sharp point when you get it just right. But with regards to healing your headache, you want to find that sharpness and kind of hold it. And oftentimes with headaches, it relates to tension. You're thinking a lot, you're racking your brain, the the head needs more fuel to work, so a lot of blood goes up there. Now there's a lot of tension, it's really crowded up here, a lot of brain, a lot of blood, so it results as headache. We have that experience of headache. So to relieve the tension, we want to to invite the blood to flow to other areas of the body, right? So, by stimulating a point really sharp and hard, brings our attention there. When our attention goes there, the mind goes there, the blood follows, and that will relieve the tension, headache of all the pounding that's going on up here. Is that making sense? So, hydrate, massage good medicine, or is Advil and then. Thank you.
0: <laughs>
3: and your liver and your kidneys will thank you when you're 70. Eh? Yeah. yeah, right.
0: Thank you. You're welcome.
3: It's past my time, but I'm happy to stay. I just need more water for my teeth.
1: Um, can I just ask the last question hmm? as an opportunity for you to talk about, like, well, you already talked a little bit about Wudang West, but maybe any last words about Wudang West? And then if you still have more time, I think there are some people that still have more questions. Okay, yeah, fine, fine, Um fine. But I did yeah. want to ask if um, for those of you and us who are interested in learning more uh-huh. um, about either Taoism or Wudang um, an embodied knowing and being in general, yeah. where can we go? So this oh. is my way of trying to, you know, enable you to have a chance to talk about <laughs> Wudang West. Yeah.
3: Um, if there's enough interest, uh, you know, we could probably start a club here on campus, mm. and uh, I'm sure someone would be happy to be a club <laughs> advisor, and I'm sure we have enough students to get the six necessary students. At least that's how it was in my university. We needed six students and an advisor to have a club, and then we all know parliamentary procedure and bylaws and such. And so we could generate a Wudong West Cultural Club here on campus, and then you could convince me to come and we can do regular movement, and mm. uh, and it would be a joy to serve you guys in that way, to add value and contribute to your lives in that way. Uh, and so if there's an interest, uh, I'd be more than honored to come and work with you guys further. So that's how we can make Wudong West available, is I will bring it to you. How about that? Wow. Oh, yeah, smile. Wow. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, a little bit of uh, incriminating evidence. Maybe we can edit it out. When I was in college, uh, I was the president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer and all six members necessary for a one-man club. (laughs) I had a a very small school. And so as long as you did the paperwork, you can kind of get away with that stuff. And so I was a one-man club and I applied for budgets and I got money from the school to have special events and uh, it was a great way for me to um, kind of learn that skill set that eventually translated to my cultural heritage center and my nonprofit mm-hmm. having that type mm-hmm. of experience in student government. And so uh, I would uh, invite you guys to consider starting your own club and get that experience, get that uh, management and uh, that, uh, that, uh, that government experience, which will translate very well to later on when you try to embark on your own programs and projects.
1: And then finally, did you have any parting words?
3: Yeah, none of this is true. All of it is bullshit. Don't believe a word I say. Try it for yourself and see if you can get value.
1: So, if there, I think you had a question, Katie? I do. So,
4: I
5: thought it was really interesting when you gave her advice with her
4: breathing and you said that the breath is like God. Mm. And as you were speaking, I was sort of trying to figure out the religious aspect of this.
3: Simple answer for you, three words. I don't know. I have no idea. Mm. It's interesting in that we're a mystical tradition, and we uh, absolutely explore the depths of human consciousness and what it means to be mindful and aware. Uh, however, I dare not say I understand God and understand the function of um, and. Um, I think it's irresponsible of people that say they do. Uh, Yeah. So uh, it's just when I say breath is God, I speak to the necessity of it for our waking consciousness. And so our experience of life is directly related to the quality of our breath, right? Stress is related to the quality of your breath joy is related to the quality of your breath healing concentration any anything that you do as a living waking being the quality of which is determined by the quality of your breath and so in that way we could say that breath is related to god so
4: god is like the provide the provi- whatever god is is like
3: allows life to exist i don't know is that i'm <laughs> I hope you're confused. And I'm not trying to give you a definitive answer here. I'm trying to be very gray. right? Because ultimately, I have no idea how to contain God with words. In the same way, when we started this conversation, you can't contain Tao with words. You can't contain God with words. And as soon as somebody puts their foot down and is bold enough to say that this is God, this is Tao, mm-hmm. you're an idiot and you've lost. Right? And so uh, I dare not try to uh, Capture these these energies these essences with words and even if I were able to my words may not trigger that experience within you and so uh, you won't be experiencing God you'd be trying to experience how I experience God right And so words do no good
1: So I think at that point um, we're going to invite us all to welcome, I mean not welcome, to thank um, Master David Wei for all the information he's provided for us to think about and continue to think about and hopefully practice also, embodied practices. Um, And I'm not sure if he's going to linger around for a little bit, but if so maybe you'll have the opportunity to say thanks in person um, and chat a little bit more.
3: I just got to pee. I drank a gallon. Is he just?
1: Thank you so much for coming.
3: My joy. My joy.
0: Listen. Listen carefully.